welcome to the Clustering Insights podcast hosted by JLL. I'm Chris Walters, the Head of Life Sciences, and delighted to welcome you to our 10th episode, which is um, quite incredible. Hopefully, we'll have many more. Today, I'm joined by Neelam Patel, who's the Chief Executive at MedCity. So welcome, Neelam. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for inviting me. Absolute pleasure. Really good to have this conversation with you. Um, to kick us off with, if you wouldn't mind just giving a, an overview of who MedCity are, your website says you're accelerating cutting-edge innovation in London and beyond. So perhaps you could give a bit more you know, meat around the bone in terms of what you're doing as an organisation. Yeah, totally. Um, so MedCity consists of a team of life science experts drawn from all the sectors important to life science growth, actually, and that, that's industry, NHS, research, academia, investment, science, comms and, and media. And what we are uh, is, a, is a cluster organisation. We have deep networks into London and connections nationally as well as internationally. And our remit when we were formed actually in 2014 was to bring together the different parts of London um, to, to really make it easy for uh, uh, inward investors to navigate the, the quite complex landscape uh, to get traction for their R&D um, development, manufacturing, commercialization. But not only that. Uh, when we bring different parts together, we become internationally much more uh, of a globally leading sector. So uh, we do a number of things to promote that. And I'm sure we'll talk about um, cluster development and real estate through the rest of this conversation, which is an important part of what we do. That's great. So pulling together all the different actors, obviously, within the London ecosystem is is key. But um the part of the the mission statement around doing it and beyond London, have you found that your remit as you've grown over time, has moved outside of the capital and you're you're finding yourself working with like-minded individuals and organisations across the rest of the UK? Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, when we were formed, actually, there were other cluster organisations in nationally as well. So the Northern Health Science Alliance, for example, is one that supports the North. Now, all of our models are slightly different. And uh, uh, and the reason is, is, is just because the needs of industry and the needs of the sector are different and also how the regions, um, what what they consist of, um, are very different. I mean, London has such a dense... Um, coverage of science and research institutes, hospitals, specialist centres, uh, NIHR facilities. It's it's a sort of natural magnet for industries wishing to, uh, you know, develop and, and seek partnerships. So our model is framed around that, uh, but it's important for us to work with other national clusters because as industry needs change, it's important for them to go to where, you know, needs are best served. So, yeah, absolutely important to to establish relationships and particularly with Oxford and Cambridge because they're very similar in, in their makeup, albeit smaller. We'll, we'll certainly talk about um, the Oxford Cambridge markets and how you form part of the Golden Triangle, but perhaps just focusing on London for a bit. I think you published the, the last demand report, which was, and I remember the first one you did and how much of an impact that had on, on the market at the time. It was definitely one piece of research that was well read i'm sure the second one was was exactly the same in terms of giving people a a unique insight in terms of what's been happening in the in the london market and just to remind not you because you know them but to remind our listeners in terms of um some of those key findings about 500,000 square feet of active demand um a clear focus around different specialisms in london which i'd love to explore a bit more with you but also majority of that demand coming from small and, and medium-sized businesses, which I think is really interesting. What's changed? Are you, how are you seeing that London 
demand profile? Um, what do you see that looking like now in, in terms of where we are in 22? Well, I mean, to answer your question, not not much has changed. I mean, the demand is still there, um, certainly. What we're seeing, though, um, on the back of publishing the report is now a lot of activity to try and address some of the recommendations that were um, suggested in the demand report. And uh, I mean, we can we can talk about that briefly. So, uh, I mean, in, in some respects, um, we published our first report, as, as you said, in 2016, and we reported a, a shortage in demand there. And we focused, you know, quite a lot on uh, on some key areas such as advanced therapies. Now, um, I mean, life sciences is, is, you know, it's not an overnight game, as you as you know. And um, what what we've seen since 2016 to now, particularly in terms of advanced therapies, and we can apply perhaps the same sort of logic moving forward from this demand report, is, uh, you know, such uh, a increase in uh, new ways of advancing science. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, we had the first gen- genomic sort of sequencing, for example, since we published the last demand report. We've had the pandemic, which brought together lots of different sectors working together for innovations, new mechanisms of um, innovating. We've also had new networks established. So as I said, we we talked about advanced therapies quite a lot in the last demand report and and the need for more viral vector manufacturing space, for example. And um, since then, we've had networks such as London Advanced Therapies come up to try and um, uh, bring together different sectors in London to, to, to actually think about which are the areas that are barriers for companies wishing to work in that space and, and tackle some of this and, and manufacturing space was, was, was one. And then as a consequence, we've seen an increased investment, an increase in um, people uh, rethinking space for use in life sciences and, and the, the British Library lands is a, is a great example of that. Uh, which then starts to attract, uh, you know, more um, incentives um, in life sciences. And it becomes a bit of a virtual circle. And then you start to get this demand, right? But the supply doesn't catch up. So in in terms of this demand report, I I think we're going to be seeing, you know, the the same increase, um, certainly in terms of growth, but we're also seeing now some good things happening in terms of supply. So there's a lots of um, you know, creation of life science space. What needs to happen, I think, is some coordination of that across regions so that we're, we're actually directing it in the right space where the right demand is. And that's, you know, something we can talk about for sure. We'd definitely love to come back to the supply point, um, but just building on the demand profile and, and, the, and the thoughts around that. So we, when we, JLL, look at the company ecosystem within London, um, we think that about a third of those companies are under five years old, which ties in quite nicely when you look at your demand profile of being the majority of this, the active demand from companies is for small and medium sized businesses. From what you're seeing in terms of the business engagement that you're having day to day, do you see that that demand profile is changing in London um, with larger biotech companies coming into London? You forecast that you'll see more of those bigger corporates or some more of those mid-cap type businesses either organically growing or actually coming into an urban environment like London to try and find a home? 
I think it's, uh, well, certainly the, the smaller um, organisations, particularly those that are spinning out of some of the universities and the institutions, uh, I, I mean, there, there's a, a, you know, a snowball effect, really, with those types of, of companies. And the fueling of the investment into the sector has, has just helped that tremendously. Now, in terms of clusters, obviously, where there is a lot of innovation happening at that, um, at, at, you know, at that end, that does create then larger companies wishing to scout for some of that technologies coming in. Now, whether they base themselves here or elsewhere is, is a question. I mean, we obviously support companies to, to, to find where some of that uh, science and technology is, but the decision making around where they land um, is is not always that that clear early on. Um, I think it also depends on where they're particularly interested. So, for example, uh, where companies are looking for, for data and AI capabilities, particularly for drug discovery, there is interest, um, absolutely, to be actually physically based in in, uh, in in areas where this is very active, you know, North London specifically. However, I, you know, I have to say, however, all the time we've seen in the pandemic that, that, you know, a lot of hybrid working can be quite successful, particularly with respect to, to, to data and AI capability. So what we're seeing now is... Um, the type of company and the way of working and the proximity of what capabilities they're looking for will tend to dictate where they they end up being. And um, the demand report also talks about networking hubs, for example. So what, what is really, really important for growth uh, for, for large companies as well as small companies is, is the ability to engage with experts um, in addition to having a base, but it, obviously it gets to a particular point of investment where they really want to invest in that space. So, um, you know, but the answer to your question isn't a straightforward one. Uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, we, we talk with bigger companies. I'm not saying that they're committed to investing in large scale space in the same way MSD was um, earlier on, but that, that, you know, could change as, as we definitely are getting more larger space capabilities coming on board. Yeah, and it, it does link into the supply piece, as, as we touched on earlier, because and London is not alone here, but we, we do have a shortage of near-term supply and available space that has the right type of lab infrastructure to be suitable for all of these different companies that that need it. And you know, in, in the report that we're talking about from the demand piece that you did, it cited that there's a, a desperate lack of provision for startups and, and small companies. How can we address that? And are there any initiatives that, that you're working on at, at MedCity to specifically try and alleviate the short term issue that we're, that we're facing ourselves with? Yes, there, there are actually. And I think if we go back to what you know, particularly smaller companies need, um, and, and then that helps us understand um, actually how to fill that gap so you know smaller companies will will tend to need the operational facilities and equipments ready to hand you know they're not going to have investment to develop you know the, the spec that they need um, and and also I mean as, as you know teaching grandma Sakes here you know the innovation pipeline is isn't that um you know, blueprinted that early on. There's a lot of change and a, a lot of flux. And so therefore there needs to be some adaptability and flexibility in terms of the, the specs. So what we're looking to develop facilities that give um, 
uh, particularly the smaller companies, the ready, ready to access facilities, equipment, um, expertise, um, to, to be able to just, just quickly take it up. And, and we saw also in the demand report, but because the investment is there, actually, you know, price points necessarily aren't, aren't the issue. Um, so what are we doing about this? So a, a few things that we're doing. Firstly, there needs to be a transparency in, and visibility of supply and demand. I mean, what one of the reasons I mentioned before, you know, MedCity is there really to help, you know, navigation of, of complex space and, and not real estate space, but general. And therefore, to have visibility of what there is, is really important. And that's that's why we one of the reasons why we published the report is, is to indicate some level of, of what the supply and demand is. Now, that's continually changing. So uh, one uh, initiative that, that we're taking on is, is how to keep that visibility of supply and demand going so that, uh, you know, we can start to help help the navigation. Uh, the other aspect of it is very ta- tactical, and that is uh, creation of a lab providers forum, which we've, um, which we, uh, in fact, launched at the same time as a demand report. And really, the purpose of that was to get together lab providers in London uh, as as a bit of a brokering exchange. Uh, so where we see companies, we can actually uh, introduce them to a collective that can then put forward their proposals, for example. Saves a lot of time um, because then it's not a one-to-one. Uh, and we know that demand is, is short or supply short rather. So obviously there's an element of competition, but at the end of the day, if you're full, you're full, right? There's not much you can do about it. So um, it just helps that uh, that, that sort of um, navigation again. But but the added benefit of the Lab Providers Forum is, is it's now uh, getting together, um, particularly institutionally based lab providers uh, to, to, to actually knowledge exchange, you know, what, what are companies looking for now? How, how are their facilities changing? Uh, what are the types of uh, equipment, for example, that can be shared across, you know, all sorts of things, which is which is really positive, I think. Um, and then the third thing that we're doing is, is a bit longer term, I guess, and that's how to um, use the expertise of uh, very experienced um, organisations such as Cell and Gene Therapy Catapult that are very, very used to supporting companies to manufacture, uh, but use their capabilities to try and build more um, uh, sort of, I guess, ups, upskill institutions within London that have facilities to be able to provide that ready to use um, specialist space and facilities um, so that companies are able to stay within the proximity of their clinical or research base longer, which is ultimately where they have the greatest chance of scale before they move out to, to, to commercialize. So, um, those are the and, and actually we'll be publishing a, a sort of roundtable report on the um, outcomes of, of the, the roundtable we did with industry and the Sun Gene Therapy Catapult and institutions shortly, which will give some some sort of detail on uh, what we feel is necessary. That's brilliant. I, I think the the fact that you've created this forum where you can connect people that may be providers of space to the ones that need it is is a great way. I think of how. Um, you are providing that support to businesses and companies, you know, and sort of going back to the mission statement of what MedCity's purpose is. Um, it's, you know, it's clear that you are having an impact and you're helping drive that support in industry. How important just generally is it to have that 
um, support from key people within the public sector. And in specifically, you I assume you've got a direct hotline, maybe not direct, direct, but a direct hotline into the mayor to help support you and the team in terms of what you want to do in the in the London context. How important has their support and um, sort of driving force behind MedCity been for you? It's been huge, actually, um, Chris. I, I, the, the GLA were very important to our um, formation early on, and they continue to be part funders of the organisation. Um, they have a very big interest in economic growth and resilience within uh, London. And as such, uh, there are two key uh, areas that that we work in that directly sort of address their needs uh, as as an authority. Firstly, is is to engage in cluster development and international inward investment, um, because that's you know, key driver for economic growth. And, uh, you know, that their funding helped us to uh, facilitate large-scale real, real estate development, particularly in terms of advising British Library and then the subsequent support of attracting MSD and, and other sort of companies and, and growth within that um, that sort of footprint. So that's that's been very important. The, the other is, uh, is actually touches on other areas of our work as well as real estate, and that is... Um, supporting the, um, <clears throat> the the sort of innovation pathway, if you like. So uh, health inequalities is a really uh, important area. Addressing health inequalities in London um, <clears throat> is a key factor, <clears throat> excuse me, in some of the work that they're championing. And one example there is around their funding of an initiative um, called the, the London Leap uh, Diagnostics uh, Initiative, uh, one of our programs to support SMEs and innovators to find research partners and, and get funding to progress those has resulted in, in some pretty in fact impactful innovations reaching healthcare. So the diagnostics initiative is is really to help um, get innovations into healthcare that address key areas that affect um, a, you know a, a large majority of Londoners, including uh, sort of respiratory and cardiovascular illnesses, and um, so uh, uh, particularly post pandemic, where we know that you know there's 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 a backlog in in sort of many areas in terms of health, getting diagnostics into the community is important. So. You know, this is something that we're really delighted to work with uh, the, the mayor on and is, is another example of their support. That's very valuable. And you'll you'll have seen, I'm sure, and, and listeners would have seen about um, the recently levelling up white paper. So thinking about the opportunity for our market outside of, of London or the broader Golden Triangle, I think your know, personal view is that the principles of what was being set out in the white paper in relation to life sciences is great. You know, it's important that we look at the UK as a whole. When you look at some of the stats, you know, 86% of equity investment into life sciences in the UK goes to companies in London, the southeast or east of England. So there's no denying, I think, that levelling up agenda in principle is a good idea um, and that growth across the UK is is good growth. But there is also this sort of counter view or not counter view, but there's a sort of another um, thought process going on, which is, is the levelling up agenda in terms of how it's focusing outside of the southeast, in particular, having a detrimental impact on clusters like London, um, Cambridge and Oxford. So I'm interested to get your take on that in terms of whether you think it's a them and us type 
situation or whether actually, which I think is where I'm going, so I'm sort of leading the witness a bit. Um, it's it's a good thing that we're doing stuff outside of these markets as well. You know, I think it's a really important question, and there's no doubt that um, uh, you know there are there are folks um, you know trying to understand how best to to work leveling up so that. Um, the UK as a whole benefits really because that's that's what the game is about, isn't it? Really, and that, and, and this is what I say often is that we're we should be competing within the UK. Actually, leveling up is all about um, the international landscape. That that's how we see it and, and I see it. So, uh, in order to you know fulfil George Freeman's vision of UK being a science superpower. Um, there's no doubt London has to join up with everybody else, you know, all, all, all the national clusters, which we've, we've talked about. The thing that I think is important here is making sure that the enablers for that levelling up um, continue to be funded and continue to be supported. And those enablers are, are folks, you know, like the cluster organisations like MedCity, NHSA and others, because... Um, Absolutely, the funding has to go to, um, you know, uh, fueling more innovation that then helps to address some of those inequalities. But we've talked about several examples where some of the work that we're doing is 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 some of the glue and some of the uh, enabling factors. So institutions on their own, personally, uh, um, uh, isn't necessarily going to achieve the the UK being an international lead we we have to look at all of the factors that are relevant and i guess you know one example is really looking at internationally where governments have piled in lots of money to um, develop clusters and that's taking years you know like singapore for example taking years to mature we don't have that luxury so we should really build upon existing mechanisms that, that do that and I think the the policy piece at the macro level, whether it's UK wide or, or regionally, is really important. Um, but you mentioned sort of the glue that knits things together. You know, successful companies can be created, they can be nurtured, but that's done by more than just policy. That's done by people on the ground, people coming together, a science focused community, or at least a a community outside of science being a aware of what the industry is doing and its potential growth. So other than the policy and the macro piece, what else are you looking at from a MedCity perspective around community and how you pull these different people together um, to drive forward innovation? Um, yeah, so I, uh, that, that sort of is a nice leeway, Chris, into a report that we'll be publishing at the end of this month, which is um, our report around the the, um, the benefits of life sciences to communities. And it, it's an interesting story, actually, as to how we came about that. And it, it was when I was in a conversation with a local authority and a developer uh, looking to understand Section 106 and planning requirements, actually. And it, it sort of struck me that um, there were two different conversations going on. Uh, you know, the, the local authority had in their mind what was needed for economic growth, resilience, building jobs, and the developer had in their mind what they needed to do. And then they it, it felt like something was missing to try and knit those conversations together into one cohesive um, objective, actually. And therefore, um, 
we're in this report that we've developed with UCL and also support from four local authorities in, in, in London, we have to provide a framework across sort of various aspects that are important to community and life sciences that can help really to have these multi-sectors start to engage in conversations that start to talk about the same things so for example um, you know an organization is trying to develop a life science cluster in a part of London it's important for them to understand actually what demographic needs of that particular community um, how is that space going to engage that community how is it going to bring jobs to everybody except for you know for everybody including sort of PhDs and the scientists which you know some regions feel that that they're the only jobs available when um, life sciences are, are, are developed um, so uh, you know uh, so what this report draws on are examples examples internationally where clusters have, have been developed in urban and, and not non-urban areas if you like and applies this framework to what can be a very important tool for London which which in a sense is is actually not I mean it's one city but very distinctive regions within that city. Yeah of course we obviously have you know 32 plus one local authorities with with different um policies particularly on the planning side so that sounds really exciting we'll certainly watch out for that and i'm sure listeners will too um you mentioned sort of the urban and, and non-urban and i'll use that as my own segue into, into something else which is uh, a theme you mentioned a bit earlier um in the podcast around manufacturing and i think it's great that you're connected with with catapult you know we we know individuals there and they're they're a fantastic outfit doing some really um, impactful things in in the industry for sure. One of the things that we have seen um, and particularly have seen in the context of the US market, and I think we have a couple of comparators here in, in the context of, um, say, London and Stevenage in terms of how, how some companies split their R&D functions and, and manufacturing, um, is around general manufacturing within the industry and hasn't really had the 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 coverage or the presence or the sort of the topic of conversation in um, the real estate world, but it is certainly a key part of the jigsaw. Um, and I'm interested to get your views in in terms of how you think that might change. You know, based on where we are today in terms of how manufacturing is done for a lot of biotech businesses and and what that looked like in the future. And part of that um, question is down to the fact that we've seen the impact of COVID. And that's had an impact on things like supply chains. We have a ever-changing geopolitical situation around the movement of goods and what R and D is is done, etc. So, interested to see what your what your thoughts are are around manufacturing. Do you think we'll see an increase in the amount of reshoring, for example, of manufacturing into the UK market, and why? That, and that's a it's a great question and uh, it's funny actually and it feels like a bit of a full circle because when I was uh, when I was in the pharmaceutical industry um, you know I, I saw manufacturing plants closing down which was sad actually very very sad um, however in those days there wasn't as much uh, innovation particularly in in innovative therapeutics and and technologies as, as we're seeing now right so which require different manufacturing capabilities and different sort of process outfits if you like um 
So fast forward, um, I, I do think that we'll be seeing a change and we're already seeing a change, actually. Um, and uh, I mean, there are a number of drivers for that. We've talked about some of them. So, you know, policy driver definitely being incentive. So the Life Science Innovative Manufacturing Fund, for example, being a really important sort of policy change that uh, 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 actively incentivizes, um, uh, 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 you know, uh, manufacturing and, you know, 60 million in capital grants for investment for the manufacture of sort of human medicines, medical diagnostics and medtech product, products are, are definitely um, something that companies are sitting up and taking a notice of. Now, um, <clears throat> I think the other thing also, and you, you mentioned the seven gene therapy catapult is, um, and they're also scaling up and we're seeing obviously GSK and others uh, now um, trying to, um, well, not trying to, very actively building up capabilities which then also goes back to the conversation we had about SMEs and um, those that are uh, needing to think about uh, manufacturing capabilities as their innovation develops and whether they do it in-house or outsource and um, how that plays out. So there are a few things going on, but all of them point to, yes, we are seeing um, an increase in manufacturing capabilities and, and also in terms of levelling up, I, I think we're also starting to see capabilities elsewhere that are ramping up facilities to um, to take on that demand, which is a, a brilliant thing and actually goes towards what we've talked about is connecting London to other parts of the region. So as companies you know, start to mature, start to scale, want to commercialise, um, they can access capabilities, uh, hopefully pretty seamlessly and, um, you know, have, have an end to end business proposition in the UK, which is absolutely, I think, one of the aims post pandemic. Right. And seeing what we had to see in terms of relying on supply chain internationally, uh, you know, MR, mRNA technology or, or vaccine uh, related um, technology. I, I think that there is an interest here. To, to grow that capability. You mentioned the fact that technologies have changed and continue to change. And I think that's part of the interesting dynamic here when, when you're thinking about this sector um, and you know, what type of space you should be providing, the, the actual type of space that a lot of these companies is changing as the technology changes. It's, as you said, um, life sciences um, and real estate is not an overnight game. It takes time um and building space that's fit for purpose is 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 a challenge that certainly we've explored on on other podcasts within this series perhaps just to um to bring to bring us to a close neelam um we've talked a lot about sort of the opportunities and i think how the demand profile might be changing in in markets like london but do you think there's one single um challenge or or issue that needs to be solved to allow the London's biotech market in particular to to flourish and be even more successful than it is today and, and what it you know what it could be um and is you know linked to that is there an ask of the real estate community to help support that um in terms of making sure we can really optimize the potential here in in the London market oh gosh that's um that's a big question, actually. I, I and I, I'd be interested to hear your view on the, on that one as well, Chris. Um, 
Um, I mean, if I if I just talk about the ask of the real estate community, I, th- I mean, we've talked about several things that that point to the fact that it's not just space actually that's important for the growth of the sector. Um, there are multiple things at play, and more and more we also talk about talent and skills, and they could be talent and skills of uh, you know folks that need to work within the business itself, but also in operating facilities. And particularly when you're talking about complex, um, uh, you know, like advanced advanced therapies, cell gene therapies, those, those types of facilities. So, um, I've, you know, the ask is really for, for, for developers to think about the partners very early on that they need to work with to make sure that it's it's an enhanced offer. It's not it's not just space. And, and of course, you know, of course, people are, are doing that already. But um it's it's very important, I think, to be doing that. It's a holistic um, thing that is developed, and obviously using the resources that that we have to help uh, inform, uh, you know, things like community development. Um, I think the other thing uh, that that is important for biotech um, is is just getting some of that visibility um, because it's it's hard. It's a slow game, isn't it, to find. Well, a to find funding, B to find space, then to make sure they've got the right collaborators, and um, uh, you know, it, it's it's a perpetual thing. Actually, I don't I don't think any one thing will solve that. But um, anyway, not a straightforward answer. But but what about you? If you've got time, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think fair's fair. I'll also answer. I think the um, I think in the short term, biggest challenge wise is availability of suitable supply as we talked about we've got 500,000 square feet of active demand as we know and listeners um, perhaps will or won't know the sort of the available lab space is very few and far between in London today the pipeline looks much stronger so I think the ask to the real estate community would be to, to persevere in, to some extent you know I think there is a huge potential in the London market we're showing some really similar characteristics to other emerging clusters in the states like New York, similar similar setup, you know, emerging clusters, cosmopolitan city, different areas of focus around academic strength or research and development activity. So I think perseverance and collaboration with the public sector and organizations like yourself to make sure that, as you said, Neelam, we are as connected as we can be into the science world without being the scientists yourself, but at sort of understanding what's driving them so that we can provide a product that's fit for purpose. And then I think in the longer term, which probably isn't something the real estate community can um, solve directly, but certainly could help steer the ship in terms of policy is skills. And, you know, I know that that's something you've looked at in a lot of detail in the past and continue to be a core part of what you do. But how do we make sure that we're getting the not so much the the technicians and the scientists, but sort of as these companies grow, the C-suite management level individuals that's homegrown talent that we can sort of keep all of these fantastic companies that we're working with here on on the shores of the UK. So. There's probably a timeline piece to all of this, but the um, I think we're doing a lot of good things as an industry in London and you and the team are a key part of that. So it, it's great to hear what you're doing. Um, on behalf of everyone listening, thank you so much for your time and thank you from, from a personal perspective. It's been really enjoyable. 
Thanks, Chris. Good, good to chat. We'll speak again soon, I'm sure. Thank you.